Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Maybe losing weight is on your mind in 2021, but maybe it's all in your mind. Have you ever thought you might have a food addiction? Many people have lost their jobs in this pandemic, but there are also new opportunities, especially for nurses. Also, what if your spouse has a crush on someone? What would you do? Freak out? Maybe you should? Maybe not. One thing we've learned in this pandemic is that mental health is critical, and they say that mental health is created. But how? The Sunday Night Health Show starts now. Joining me on the line, he's a, he's a regular voice on this program, Dr. Jason Kinderchuk. He is, uh, has a PhD and a researcher. He is very invested in viruses and, uh, and studies them intensively, and he joins me on the line. Good evening, Dr. Kinderchuk, and Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Who would have thought that 2021 would be so relaxing these first uh, couple of weeks? Right, exactly. <laughs> Are you relaxing? I'm not, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I haven't even had a minute. The, the, I, I've been so busy, as you probably have been as well, to text people back or make a phone call. You know, things. if things don't go in order, um, then and it falls out of order, then it's, you know, all it all falls apart anyway, but it's been quite busy dealing with this pandemic from, from a medical perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know what I just said, we, we lived in Washington DC for seven and a half years. So, wow. uh, you know, we, we got a lot of frantic texts on, on Wednesday and my wife worked two and a half blocks from, from the white house. So, wow. Yeah. It, it's been a very surreal start to the year to say the least. Oh, it's been extremely heartbreaking. You know, it's just been just so devastating and disappointing. And I mean, it's just this, what can you, and, and lives lost, yeah. nothing worse. And all those families left grieving. I mean, it, it's horrific. It's yeah. I'm American. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I'm being very cautious with how I say things. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always afraid of saying I'm American. There are times when I'm, I'm nervous to say that I am American, but, um, you know, that was just uh, completely uncalled for and disappointing. And, and, you know, on top of it, we're still working and still dealing yeah. with life. And, you know, I, I um, work with a number of people, but closely with some other people, and, and in particular, this one gentleman. And on that uh, Wednesday evening, um, I had to phone him and just to say, oh, here's this or whatever. And he said, oh, you, you don't sound like yourself. You don't sound like your happy-go-lucky self. You know, you're tired. And I said, I'm just so sad today. You know, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, really, really tough times. And, and we've certainly lived through very tough times with that administration. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I mean, and you don't have to be sensitive about that because some people... Yeah. Are, are behind him, you know, like it's just, Absolutely. yeah, it's just outrageous, but uh, hopefully the co- the country can heal and hopefully the world can heal from this pandemic and it's fabulous researchers such as yourself who uh, help along the way. So well, I, I appreciate that. Oh, I, I really appreciate your, your knowledge and all of your great work. And, you know, if we thought I mean, I think a lot of people heard vaccine, fantastic, wonderful, we're going to get a vaccine, this is all going to be over. And I'm an optimistic person, but I just had a sense yeah. of foreboding. And all along thinking, this isn't just going to wipe itself away really rapidly. There's a large supply chain here we have to deal with and distribution, implementation, and scale this up, you know, the vaccine uh, distribution and, and um, injecting people. And, uh, you know, prioritizing and delivery and all of that kind of thing. And then all along, 
all, all of a sudden, along comes a variant that's, that's even more transmissible. Why do we need to worry about the variant, Dr. Kinderchuk, or the few yeah, variants? <laughs> well, there are, and, and, and I think that's one of the things that you know, we, we really need to get across to the public is you know, we, we've been dealing with variants really since the, the onset of the pandemic. So the, you know, the, the virus that eventually overtook Europe and, and then in North America was a variant of the original virus that, uh, that had emerged in Wuhan. And, and we've seen variants, and this is just because of you know, what, what viruses do naturally, in particular RNA viruses, they, they make mutations when they create copies of themselves. Um, they are not always perfect copies. And once in a while, you get the right mix of, uh, of these letters that, that are made, you know, very, very much in a, in a random iteration. And that gives uh, some, some added benefit to the virus. So, you know, we, I think we were always cautious with what was going to happen. We knew coronaviruses mutated and do mutate at a lesser uh, level or a lesser extent than what other RNA viruses do. Um, but we had it in the back of our minds of what happens if and when we get that right combination of events. And, and we've seen it now. So certainly with the UK, with the B117 variant, and then with uh, the South African 501Y uh, V2 variant, um, what we're seeing is basically, uh, you know, mutated viruses that, that have uh, basically a, a better adapted ability to bind to our cells. And what that really means is that they have essentially a, a better key to fit into the lock uh, that, that is our, our respiratory tract. Um, so, you know, what, what we're looking at right now, our first concern was whether or not this was going to be something that was uh, related to, to greater virulence or, or greater severity of disease in people. The data so far doesn't suggest that. It's a little bit you know, kind of minimal at this point, but um, certainly we're, we're not seeing that trend. But the concern is that it's more transmissible. And when we think about this, we have to think about the fact that if you have a virus that transmits more widely, um, you know, it may not be more lethal, but if you're putting more people into the hospital and you're putting more people in ICU beds, we, we know what the outcome of that is. Um, you know, so it, it's really been a lot of scrambling, um, you know, really since uh, I think, you know, the start of December when, when these news reports came out and Public Health England and, and then the folks in South Africa have reported what they were seeing. Um, you know, I think our big, biggest scramble right now is what does this mean in terms of the vaccines? But secondly, it's what does it mean in regards to transmission recommendations? What, what do we do? And that's really what, you know, what I've kind of been scrambling on the last few weeks is what, what do we tell people to do? Right. And uh, the other, you made a great point about the burden on the hospitals. And I think people forget that. They often yeah. think, well, you know, it's like the common cold or just like the flu yeah. if you get COVID-19. And, you know, the death rate is, you know, so such a small percentage of older people die, which is not necessarily the truth. Um, and, and so it is such a, there are, there are so many facets of COVID-19. And, and also, if there is a higher transmission rate, of course, it's going to affect healthcare workers and it's going to, going yeah. to affect families and young and old and school and businesses and the economy. It has so many uh, different um, ways that there can be a negative outcome. And, and I don't think the vaccines, my, my sense is anyway, from all over, that the vaccine rollout has not been that rapid, that fast, that yeah. quick. And I think a lot of people who are in charge of that might be overwhelmed 
overwhelmed uh, by that as well, by that realization that it's not easy to roll out. So I'd like you to stay on the line. We're just going to go to break, Dr. Kinderchuk, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the rollout, why that's so important, and and who you think should be uh, vaccinated first, (laughs) and also why sticking to the primitive measures that we do, the masks and the physical distancing, and and, and can't we just flip over to a shield? I get lots of these questions in the work that I do anyway. So Dr. Jason Kinderchuk is on the line. You're now on Twitter. You tweeted out recently, and, and you're not banned from Twitter, unlike some other people. <laughs> for, life, for life, I could be banned. <laughs> um, it cannot be stressed enough. This is a race that we have to commit to. New coronavirus variant could dominate in Ontario by next month, a model shows. Why is it important that we stay the course, that we do those primitive measures, wearing a mask, physically distance, hand washing? Well, here, here's the thing that we know about the variants, right? And, and I say the variants uh, in the plural. So the variants don't have superpowers. Um, They're not able to, you know, to permeate walls and, and do things that, that the previous virus was not able to do. Um, so where we're looking at right now is that if we don't cut down transmission, what's going to happen is that this variant or these variants will take over transmission in the country. And we know that that means that, you know, up to, I think, 60 or 70 percent uh, more transmission will occur, and that ultimately leads to, to far more people going to the hospital. Um, but if we still wear a mask, if we distance properly, if we you know use proper hygiene, we don't stay in closed spaces for long periods of time, all those things that, that we are so tired of hearing about but do work, if we apply those measures, we know that that transmission can be reduced. Now, it's going to be more difficult um, rather than having you know 90 or 95% of people adhering to these measures we need everybody um, because we know that that this is just such a such a you know easier virus to to be able to transmit from person to person. Um, but we really have to get that message out to people that you know we, it, this is not rocket science. Um, and, and I say that from from my perspective, I, we don't have you know we're, and don't need really advanced tools to to get people to, to to try and reduce their transmission rate. It is literally do all the things that that you've been hearing about and and have been trying to do as much as possible. Now you say we need uh, we need a hundred percent of people yeah. adhering to these guidelines to reduce this. And do you think we have ninety to ninety five percent now? Well, listen, I, I think it depends on on area, right? So I think we're doing good in in some locations. Certainly in you know in, in Manitoba now in Alberta, um, Saskatchewan, we're seeing rates drop, which suggests that we are getting people to to adhere. Um, you know, I, I try to be optimistic and, and hope that people are, are doing the right things. We know that there's going to be a segment of the population that, that likely is not going to do this. If we produce enough of a buffer around those people, um, hopefully, we, you know, we can, again, we can cut down these transmission chains. But it right. certainly is, is difficult because of the vaccines. I think we have a lot of people that think, you know, we, we are actually towards the end of this and we're very much not towards the end yet. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me this question and I'll ask you um, that uh, they don't like wearing masks. I think the things that yeah. they, they don't mind, ever, nobody minds washing their hands now. <laughs> um, but I don't think people love the physical distance and I don't think they love wearing masks. And so they will often say, why can't I just wear a shield? Yeah, and listen, we, we know that face shields certainly have a benefit. But the problem with the face shield is that, uh, you know, really the primary guard for the face shield is to try and block uh, transmission through, uh, through the eyes. Now, we think that with COVID, 
um, and the SARS coronavirus too, that there is some transmission that likely uh, is, you know, is part and parcel because of, of transmission through the eyes. But we know that the primary route seems to still be the nose and the mouth. So the problem with the shield is if you get those fine, you know, fine, small uh, particle aerosols that are floating around and, and you are breathing in as, as per normal, you're still going to be able to inhale those. And the, the likelihood is that the, you know, the infectious dose is probably somewhat you know, of, a, of a limited nature, and, and that still allows people to, to get infected. So a, a mask with a face shield would be perfect, um, but we, uh, we can't quite yet recommend towards just a face shield alone. I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. And, it, and the, the mask, actually, it's, it's an absorbent uh, material, yeah. and it will actually absorb that uh, droplet, um, unlike a shield. And, and you're yeah. more likely to probably touch the shield as well and then touch your face or touch, touch your mouth um, in particular. Um, uh, anyway, are, are you optimistic for 2021 <laughs> in terms um, of the I, pandemic? I, 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 I live in a world where I, I can't tend to be that optimistic. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think we're we're still on the right track, right? The, the vaccines certainly, uh, you know, are, are are becoming more and more plentiful. Johnson and Johnson is moving ahead, uh, hopefully by the end of January. Um, I think we're in the right direction. It really is incumbent upon us for the next few months until it warms up to, to crack down. Once it gets warmer and people are outside more. Hopefully that will help us get get transmission rates reduced. But it is it, it's going to be a, a, a tough slog for the next couple of months. As Canadians, I think we can do it, but we we just have to. Uh, to, to really put in all the intestinal fortitude to, to actually get this done. That's right. And it takes a bit of patience and, um, yeah. and and a lot of help from a lot of people. Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. I really appreciate it. Maureen, I always appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, in this pandemic, so many people have lost their jobs and even nurses have lost their jobs and, and nurses have been redeployed because they actually reduced the capacity in hospitals. And so some nurses who were casual uh, working, maybe they were stay-at-home moms and, and working just to keep their foot in the door, but the, ca- the, the work dried up for casual nurses. Um, but there's a new industry that has emerged at great guns, at great breakneck speed in Ontario and, or re-emerged, I should say, in Ontario and British Columbia. And that is of the movie industry. And, you know, movies have to be made. We have to watch Netflix. I, I, I often say that, uh, you know, Netflix has saved many marriages. <laughs> and um, and now more than ever. And Netflix has been a panacea for this pandemic for many people as well. But it's not just Netflix. It's many other studios that are actually filming in uh, British Columbia, in Ontario, in Alberta. And uh, so there have been some new opportunities for nurses because, of course, people are going back to work. Some Sometimes there's hundreds of people on these movie sets. And of course, they have a big interest in keeping COVID out because if COVID enters, it may enter, but if it actually transmits, if you have an outbreak, then it shuts the production down. So hence, nurses are called for this detail. And joining me on the line is one nurse who is working in the movie industry. And she's on the line with me. She is a COVID compliance officer and her name is Karen. Good evening, Karen. Good evening, Maureen. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. So um, you're one of these nurses who is at the helm of movie productions, and it's a new role um, for movie productions to um, hire nurses to actually uh, keep COVID out because that's quite important. And this one also helps with the um, economy, getting people back to work. So tell me, um, what are some of the other opportunities um, for nurses in, in, movie, in the movie industry? 
Well, like you said, the COVID compliance officer. Also, we have a testing on site. So we do surveillance testing. So what that means is we're testing people two to three times a week um, and sometimes more in other cases. So the RNs on site are also um, hired by the movie industry to do the surveillance testing. And so, so this is asymptomatic people then? A, correct. Yes. Okay. People so th- who don't have symptoms, um, we don't test symptomatic people on the movie sites at all. Okay, so um, so this is a way to kind of you know keep an eye on on the production basically to to give it an additional um, you know it's a bit like Swiss cheese I would think like I, I'm certain that the movie industry is very interested in having masks and physical distancing and hand washing and then the testing on top of it so if you put four or five slices of Swiss cheese together you're able to cover those holes basically um, how how is it that movies are able to film because oftentimes there are intimate scenes and people have to be quite close together. So how is that, um, is that handled? Well, actually, there's, there's, it's, it's fourfold that you said, like the, the Swiss cheese is, is perfect because we have the self-health screening. So before anyone walks onto the, onto the movie set, you have to do self-health screening. So you have to go through the COVID symptoms and you have to say no to everything before you can even walk on the site. Um, then we have our masks, we have um, social distancing, and yes, we're all washing our hands, everything's, we have extra cleaning. Um, then we have the surveillance testing. So the surveillance testing, what it does is, if there is a case, um, we could quickly isolate people and take people off um, the set so that it isn't spread. Um, and the crew has been fantastic about social distancing and wearing masks. So the people that are doing the intimate um, scenes, well, everyone around them is masked up and also using the shield. I heard you talking earlier about that, the face shield. Um, They're wearing the shield and the mask. Those, the crew members or the actual cast that have no masks on, they get extra testing. So we, some of them would, we would test four or five times a week, maybe more before the intimate scene is done. Um, So that's, that's one protocol that we do follow. There, there was some negativity over the Christmas holidays and they were saying that the government isn't testing as many people, the testing is way down, but it was the movie industry that, w- that accounted for a large part of that surveillance testing, as you say, and the movie industry was on hiatus over Christmas. Correct. Correct. Yeah. The, some of them are two weeks, some of them are four weeks off um, for the Christmas holidays. Interesting. Now, are you finding a high percentage of cases in this surveillance testing? Not at all. Not at all. Um, it's very low. It's less than 1% on my, my um, uh, production that I'm working on right now. Um, we've had very little positives, and the positives that we've had, we haven't had to shut down our production, and we haven't had too many people that have been off with, um, to isolate after being exposed. Which is amazing, and it actually uh, demonstrates how important uh, wearing masks or self-health screening. It used to be that we all went to work. Even nurses went to work sick as a dog, right? Nobody wants oh. you to call in sick. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, 
Yeah. And now that's, that behavior has changed. Uh, if you, you know, you're ostracized if you come to work sick, so you can't come to work sick. So that's made a huge difference. And also mask wearing. And as you mentioned, the shield and physical distancing. So these primitive measures work and the, and the extra cleaning as well. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that, that you're facing in your role as a COVID compliance officer nurse? Um, I would say the biggest challenge at the beginning was learning about the movie industry, which I had no experience in at all. So um, just getting in there, learning all the roles, all the departments, how everyone works together. So basically, that was a huge um, challenge for myself. Um, But I worked with every single department individually and worked out a COVID plan on how they were going to do their jobs and be compliant at the same time. Um, the other challenge, of course, is uh, just keeping everyone apart because people do have to talk to each other while they're working. So uh, just keeping people apart when they're not working. So no more sitting and chatting long conversations. So um, that's one of the biggest challenge after getting to know the industry. Right. And so it's interesting that you uh, devised a COVID plan with each department. I I think it's important in order for us to get back to work, you know, and for the economy to reignite. I think that businesses need COVID plans, uh, quite honestly. As you say, you know, it was your challenge was to learn the movie industry. But I think you understand the COVID issues and and about exposure and about testing and about rates of conversion. Um, For example, if you're exposed you would you would 50% of people convert at day 5.2 um, so that piece but I don't think lay people understand it because it can be so confusing 10 days 14 days five days 11 days you know um, and, and so th- this I think is something that you know we've heard of a lot of businesses shutting down what are your thoughts on a COVID plan for people who want to get their businesses back up and running well I know WorkSafe BC if you go on their website Um, they will walk you through a COVID plan. And then you can um, look at your business and and tweak it to your business specifically. But um, if we have vendors that come into on set on the studio, and before they're allowed to come on to set, I have to be their COVID plan. They're not allowed to come on unless it's approved by myself. Um, Also, they have to follow the protocols coming on to set as far as the self-health screening screening and uh, masks and social distancing, et cetera. So I think if you want to make a COVID plan, I would start there with WorkSafe BC. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a great suggestion. And, you know, are people appreciative of the fact that they're back to work and, and they're willing to do anything, willing to comply with the regulations and, and willing to self-regulate? Um, and, you know, are, are emotions flaring or, you know, are people all just, you know, Uh, grateful every single day that they're employed? I would say about 95% of the time they're they're very happy to be at work um, and be back to work and to have a job. Absolutely, yeah. And and there's always going to be those people who are challenged, I would imagine. Yes, definitely, definitely. And it it just bears out of frustration at times. Um, It can be stressful because they work long hours. Um, and wearing a mask for 10 to 12 hours, is, it can be, um, you can start to go and feel a little bit suffocating. So um, we do have mask fatigue areas for people. We encourage them to step outside, 
take their masks off, social distance from everyone, and and take that break. Um, and I'm I, from what I hear, um, the hours are shorter than they used to be now, and also they're a little bit more uh, lax as, as far as letting people walk off the set and take breaks. So that's actually a good thing, helping reduce stress. Yeah, that that's there's always a benefit, always a silver lining. Um, you know, I, I have a neighbor who uh, works in the movie industry and, and he would work 18, 20, 22 hours. And um, so that's a good thing that uh, the hours have been reduced. And do you think that will remain uh, after COVID is over? Hopefully it's over soon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't say. I, I don't know. Um, I just know that they're they're feeling like 10, 12-hour days are long enough at this moment. Of of course, and with the added pressure of wearing, you know, added stress of wearing, they're very difficult conditions to wear a mask for 12 hours um, and to be away from people. And, you know, you're yelling, I imagine, through a mask and through a shield and, you know, it's noisy. And, you know, I would imagine that um, it would be very difficult. But, um, But I think it's a great opportunity for nurses. What do you think, Karen? It's been a great opportunity for me. Um, it's a very big challenge. Um, I've enjoyed it, and I'm I'm very committed to my production. I'm on call 24-7 for my production, so I take sick calls. Um, I help people when they're sick, um, go through the testing, get the test to work um, by following all the protocols. So I work closely with them when they're off sick. Um, and just being there for them to ask questions and um, to bounce their ideas off is it's very rewarding. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it's a great, uh, a great sounds like a great job. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge about it. Thank you, Maureen. This is a subject I think that is on a lot of people's minds. Uh, weight loss. Um, is it how difficult is it and why is it difficult? Maybe it's something more than you think. But first, I want to take a, a question from a listener. Hi, Maureen. Losing weight is definitely on my mind. That's why my doctor put me on a trial of Ozempic. Um, the other name for that is semaglutide. Um, a, a trial of Ozempic as well as bringing down my HGA1C as I am pre-diabetic. I'm wondering how this drug works for weight loss and how long it should take to see results. Um, so this drug, uh, Ozempic, works by slowing down the food that leaves your stomach, and it helps to reduce the amount of sugar that is released from your liver when your blood sugar is high. So it increases the amount of insulin released from your pancreas. It takes up to five weeks to start working, um, and that means to start lowering your blood glucose levels, but it optimizes after about three to six months. So hopefully that's helpful. So it is, you know, weight loss is something that takes time and time takes time. Um, But something that was uh, of interest to me, and I'm sure a few thousand other people as well, um, is, and I'm just trying to think of how often I get my ideas from you on what subjects to cover. And I'm just trying to think of how um, this came to be. But anyway, a lot of people have gained weight in this pandemic. Um, It seems that, you know, it's the 
the COVID-19 pounds is, is what people talk about. But some people just find it such a struggle and people often emotionally eat. Well, there is something called food addiction and it can show itself in many different ways. And, you know, we often think that we just lack willpower or self-discipline. And you may have self-discipline in, in another aspect of your life, like your job, for example, but with food, you just fail big time. Um, and Or sometimes you try to diet or yo-yo diet, it's up and down. Um, and people feel that, um, you know, they have this relationship with food. They talk about how it relates to so low self-esteem when they're overeating or they have insecurity and shame and guilt. And and it's hard for people to uh, realize that they have may have a problem with it. It may just be that whatever you've, you know, you know exactly that you've eaten a little too much over the holidays, you've put on a five or 10 or whatever, but, but some people may be a food addict. And if you are struggling with weight loss, this is something you might want to talk to your doctor about. And so these are some of the symptoms of food addiction. If you want to stop eating and found you just couldn't, or you think about food or your weight constantly, or do you find yourself attempting one diet or food plan after another with no lasting success? They're not sustainable. Do you binge and then get rid of the binge through vomiting or taking laxatives or other forms of purging, like excessive exercise, for example? Do you eat differently in private than you do in front of other people? Or has a doctor or family member ever expressed concern about your eating habits or your weight? Do you eat large quantities of food at once? In other words, do you binge? And we see that with alcoholics. They uh, Binging um, is actually a symptom of alcoholism. If you have a question about this, give me a call, 1-877-399-9898. The, um, is your weight, uh, do you graze all day? Are you nibbling all day long? Or do you emotionally eat? Do you eat to try to escape your feelings? Do you eat when you're not even hungry? Or have you ever discarded food only to retrieve it and eat it later? Do you eat in secret? Do you fast or severely restrict your food intake? Have you ever stolen other people's food? Have you ever hidden food to make sure you have enough? Do you feel driven to exercise excessively to control your weight? And do you obsessively calculate the calories you've burned against the calories that you've eaten? And do you frequently feel guilty or ashamed about what you have eaten? Are you waiting for your life to begin when you lose the weight? Do you feel hopeless about your relationship with food? You know, I was... um, I went skiing with a friend and, um, she was in a a tough way and she had lots of issues. She had lost her job and she was having issues with her spouse and, um, issues with one of her children and also issues around her weight. And she just said, she just feels so bad about herself. Um, just, she's just feels so out of balance and out of control. And that is often what can happen. Um, to people who deal with weight issues or food issues. It's really not even the weight. It's the relationship with food. And there are meetings um, for food addicts. Um, You can go online to Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous or FA um, is the name of the group. And, you know, it's 
it's a tough way to live it, and it's very emotional and it's psychologically uh, damaging and can affect your relationship. It can affect your job. It can affect how you interview for a job. And, um, and this was the issue that my friend was facing, that she felt that she had bombed an interview. And, and, and previously, she you know, would ace an interview. That was her strong suit. And so you know, food, you know, relationships with food are, are something to be... Um, you know, taken very seriously because they, they can have an impact on our health, just like the person who uh, texted in. Um, obviously, there is an issue with his health being, with his health. being pre-diabetic is, is a major concern. Joining me on the line is somebody that you've uh, heard before. He's got a uh, fabulous voice, and uh, not only that, but he is a cardiologist in North Vancouver. He's a heart specialist dedicated to compassionate general cardiology, sports cardiology, and heart failure. Good evening, Dr. Weisler. How are you? I'm doing great, Maureen. Um, Thank you for having me, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. It's been far too long that we've had you on on the show, so I'm glad you're back. It's a pleasure to be back. It's oh, fantastic. Thanks. Uh, you know, I, I heard about a friend of mine who ignored going to the doctor um, because she was afraid of COVID-19. And she ended up having a much bigger problem than um, what it started out to be. So I, I thought of you and I thought of uh, early on in the pandemic, we heard about people who were experiencing chest pain and uh, weren't going to, to emerge. Emerge was seeing lower numbers. Um, what are your thoughts on the importance of addressing other medical issues in a pandemic? Yeah, it's uh, it's hugely important, and you know, for for a lot of uh, like follow up routine, follow up appointments with your doctors, a lot of those can be done by phone, which helps to reduce or really does reduce your risk of COVID transmission. But it's still important to check in, and then we've seen consistently from a number of different sites across the world, from China to Italy and to Europe, and a little bit from the United States as well, that you know. Um, heart disease um, mortality and bad outcomes from heart disease have increased because of the pandemic and it's not always clear but a lot of the time it seems to be because people are afraid to go to to hospital and afraid to seek care so it's it remains important i mean covid is a important and very serious disease of course um heart disease is also serious and so are you know many other things copd and many other things that people have to manage diabetes things like that so the the your other health issues that you may have uh, remain important and it's important to respect new symptoms like chest pain or something like that, that could be something serious. Of course. And there's no place like a hospital uh, where they're going to understand the primitive measures that that we've been utilizing um, all along, mask wearing and gowns and gloves and hand sanitizing and and distancing um, like they will in a hospital. It it, it should be a place um, where we where one can feel safe um, and protected from from getting COVID, um, why are um, why are people with heart disease at higher risk of COVID nineteen? Yeah, I, I don't know if we know all of the answers, Maureen, but um, the the sort of the most serious complications for a lot of people of COVID would be pneumonia when it gets into your lower respiratory tract and can cause infections. And then also it can um, sometimes cause uh, inflammation throughout the body and cause blood clots. And when you think about that, your heart and your blood vessels are very important components of how your body would respond. So if you have a pneumonia, your heart has to work uh, a lot harder 
and um, to support your body and try to allow your body to recover. And um, if you have blood clots in your body, your heart can be affected. It has trouble working as well. So people who already have pre-existing heart conditions have a harder time sort of mounting an immune response to your to your virus, getting blood to where it needs to go to sort of counter the virus with your immune system, and also to compensate for, you know, if your lungs are impaired, you don't get enough oxygen into your body, so your heart has to work harder, and people with heart disease are going to have a harder time doing that. So that's one of, you know, several different mechanisms that people can come up with, but maybe the most important one. And you say mounting an immune response. Is, is that um, because people with uh, heart disease have a weaker immune system, making it harder to fight off infections? Yep, that's part of it. So if, especially if you have a degree of heart failure, your immunity is often not as strong. And then um, if your heart doesn't work as well, then you, d- you don't get the same inflammatory response, you know, from, from your body, from your, you know, antiviral cells and antibodies, they'll still, they still work, but maybe not as efficiently or not as well. And then in certain types of chronic heart disease, probably heart failure is the most, most substantial. Also, if you have a history of coronary disease, your immune system may not function as well. And so much contributes to your heart health um, from what you consume, nutrition, from a nutrition perspective, also your exercise. Um, What would you recommend to people with or without heart disease uh, to be the healthiest, um, you know, should they uh, contract COVID-19? Yep. So so doing your best to keep your health in in good shape uh, is important at any time and it's especially important you know how would i if you think about if i got covid how would i do or how would i fare would i would i survive would i recover well so keeping the rest of your health as good as you can uh, is critical and i see in a lot of my patients a lot of people are not exercising as much because their gyms are closed or they're not able to do the activities that they usually love to do and that's that's unfortunate it's a very common problem I think I would just encourage people to do their best to find a socially distanced alternative, you know, uh, until uh, until these activities can come back. Um, just walking 30 minutes most days of the week, say five times a week, that gives your body a tremendous health, uh, a tremendous amount of health benefits. And it, it maybe isn't as good as, you know, the spin class that is now, you know, put on hold or you're not able to do, but it's still a lot better than nothing. And that sort of don't forget about your health. That health maintenance remains important. And it's and it's tough. You know, people are fighting depression, worried about their jobs and stuff like that. And these are all also very important things. But it's really important that you try to make the effort to do what you can, uh, keep up some aerobic exercise, and still try to eat well, um, plenty of fruits and vegetables to make sure you have, like, lots of vitamins, everything your body needs to stay healthy and allow its immune system to, to work as well as it can. Yeah, and that stress can have a hugely negative impact on on the heart. Uh, Dr. Weisler, thank you so much for joining me. We're going to have to get you back. Uh, We've got February coming up very shortly, Heart Health Month. So we'll uh, get you on regularly then because this is a critical subject. So thank you. All right, you take care. I feel a little bit like Betty Buzzkill on this segment because um, although I want to help you to create good mental health, it feels like I'm going to be suggesting I take a lot of the fun out of life. And I never want to be somebody uh, that does that because, listen, I deal with all this stuff myself, okay? (laughs) I I meant to mention, and in fact, somebody said, are you going to talk about your own food addiction? (laughs) Like, yes, I am. I had four bowls of super sugar crisp last night. My friend said, you actually have super sugar crisp in your house? (laughs) I'm never even heard of that. I didn't even know it existed. Have you never heard of sugar crisp? I've heard of sugar crisp, but not this like souped up version of it. Super sugar crisp. Yeah, that's terrifying. (laughs) 
Uh, it's good. <laughs> but once you start, you can't stop. And that's a problem. But uh, this is something, you know, in terms of your mental health, it's very important that you eat it very healthily. Um, and so there is some science behind chocolate. So that's the good news um, that, that can make you happy and especially dark chocolate. Who wants to eat dark chocolate? It tastes terrible. 1.4 ounces of it to be exact. Uh, every day for two weeks reduces stress hormones, inclu- including cortisol, which is what makes us increase our appetite. It makes us hungry when we're stressed and our cortisol levels go up. Um, you start to uh, eat more and perhaps drink more. So, you know, to create your good mental health, um, you know, cut down on the, don't, don't eat the milk chocolate the M&Ms. It's another problem of mine. Um, the carbs, uh, despite persistent myths to the contrary, to the contrary, carbs don't actually make you fat and they can boost your mood. Um, but also they can, um, you know, help you, they can prevent you from staying trim. Um, Anyway, so it's something to be um, very mindful of, um, but but they can also help you feel better, but you just don't want to have too many of them. Uh, eating fish is very helpful for you. In fact, I did have um, fish tonight, so that's a start for me for the year. Um, and also getting your sleep. It's really important as well. I like to stay up late too, but I can't really because sometimes I have to get up super early in the morning, like 4.35 a.m. Um, most of us aren't getting enough sleep, so you need about seven to eight hours of consistent sleep. But uh, typically people get about five to six. So uh, go to bed an hour earlier if you can, and uh, that may improve your health. But sleeping too much can actually uh, contribute to weight gain as well. Um, the other thing is, okay, the alcohol and the drugs, you know, like staying at home, a lot of people increase their alcohol intake. Um, and I'm not trying to ruin your weekend, but it's, it's really up to you how much alcohol and or drugs you consume. Keeping in mind that alcohol is a major depressant, as is the come down from certain drugs, especially marijuana. A lot of people think marijuana is benign. It is not. So if you're feeling down, the last thing you want to do is um, have a drink or drink yourself silly. So important to exercise and, and every single day. And I know a lot of the gyms are closed. Didn't affect me. I have to say I'm not somebody who loves to work out indoors. I don't like to swim indoors. I like to swim in the ocean. I like to work out outside. I like to bike. I like to hike. I like to ski. I like to play tennis. So I'm an outdoor person. I've got the gear for it. I have a poncho that is rubber on the inside and Gore-Tex on the outside. It's fantastic. So get the great gear, get out there and start walking. Um, and you know, tell somebody, this is the most important thing. Talk to somebody else about your issues. The biggest thing you can do to improve your mental health is to talk to someone about how you are feeling. And, uh, you know what chances are that person has felt that way at one point in their lifetime as well. You know, talk to your friends, talk to your family, a counselor if needed. You don't need to feel the way you do. There are so many people willing to listen, willing to help. And literally, you know, there are those people who can say, hey, I've had that trouble before. And, uh, you know, I had a rough time in my life here or there or whatever. And it's totally normal to get down and have days when you feel like garbage, quite frankly, but it doesn't mean you have depression. Um, Depression is when the negative feelings won't go away and they affect your day-to-day life. 
Um, and people with depression can feel hopelessly sad. And so, you know, that's a, a medical condition. That's something different. But there are things, if you're just in a funk, if you're just hanging on the couch, eating chips, watching Netflix the whole time, you know, and, it, and then feeling badly about yourself, you know what, get up, commit to making different choices. If you can, if you can't, yeah, you may need some help. And, you know, certain foods, you know, do help you to feel better and do actually uh, increase your serotonin levels as well. So, um, you know, it's something you need that self-care is really, it's not about manis and petties. It's literally about mental health and serotonin levels and, and neurotransmitters and the like. So, um, this is the year to get that mental health in good form. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.